Welcome to Catching Curveballs. Join Dr. Moji, a psychology professor at the University of Ohio, and her daughter, Iyabade, a research scientist in California, on a journey of how to make the most of what life throws your way. We hope to make today's podcast as informative and lighthearted as possible. So sit back and join us on this adventure. All right, mom, I hope you're ready for another episode. How's life? How are you? Yes, thank God, my daughter. It is another day, another episode. I am doing okay in spite of losing my dad, your granddad, on Sunday, August 30, at the ripe age of 90 years. So my reminiscing since then has been about our relationship and all he taught me. It is not easy losing loved ones regardless of their age. In this case, however, his passing is an opportunity to celebrate his life by me sharing with you and our audience a bit about what my father meant to me. I can write a book about this, but today I'd like to focus on my childhood. Shortly after I learned of my father's passing, I reviewed the album with photos of my birth in the hospital, a clip of a local newspaper with my picture, my godmothers, and my parents at my baptism, that's over 60 years ago, many photos of my first birthday celebration, and photos of when I was a few years old, Mm, say up until I was about five years of age. For all photos, my father had meticulously typed, and in those days, people used typewriters. He had typed captions from my perspective, that is, as if I am the one describing the photos. For example, for one photo that I was in a stroller and he was standing next to me, he had typed, Evening Stroll, Dad and I, May 17th, 1960. For another photo on my first birthday that my dad was holding me, the caption was, Dad's own birthday embrace. My father taught me how to ride a bike. I still remember my first bike, a blue one, and my first major fall from the bike at around age five. Around that time too, he taught me how to swim. Later in life, I got to know that he couldn't actually swim well. But what I remember of him then was a physically much bigger person than me who would not let me drown. He taught me how to play lawn tennis. He was very particular about education. And in elementary school, if the excuse of not meeting my younger brother and me at home studying when he returned from his office was that we were swimming or playing lawn tennis with the children of a particular friend of his, another professor, we won't be scolded or punished. I remember going with him to his office on Saturdays when he went to catch up on some teaching preparation and administrative duties that I will sit in a corner reading books, many children's books, 
to pass away the time. I am grateful to God for all he taught me. D for daddy, may your soul rest in perfect peace. I love you and will always do. And I can hear him saying in his boisterous voice, Moj the Moj, I love you too. Keep the flag flying. All righty, Yabade, keep it together. Keep it together. (laughs) We have an entire episode. Please keep it together. But in all seriousness, one of the highlights of my entire life and existence is having you. And not just having you, but being able to create so many memories with you every single day. So I can't imagine what it must be like working through this loss, but I'm here for you and sending virtual hugs and extra strength your way. And well, actually, I'm sending that to myself too, I suppose, but truly, I'm sending them in large volumes and spades right now. And all of this is part of what adds to the challenges of this pandemic in that even traveling to be with your family isn't something you can just do at the drop of a hat. And to our dear listeners, my grandpa lived in Nigeria at the time of his passing. And aside from working through the restrictions in place and requirements for isolation, the CDC has also assigned Nigeria a level three travel warning. And so even the ease of heading back to be with family and extended relatives really is just non-existent at this time. But what's been so important to hold on to is that he made the absolute most of his 90 years on this planet. Not only did he have such a dramatic impact on each and every one of us, but he also just had the most amazing life story. I remember growing up, we had this picture hanging up in our dining room of you, mom, as well as grandpa, shaking hands with Pope John Paul II. I don't know the exact year, but I always used to see it and think you both were just so cool. And then many years later, as an adult, while I was reading his autobiography, I couldn't help but aspire to also be able to have such a colorful and meaningful life story. And now, seeing the articles being published about him and highlighting his role as a pioneer of distance learning in Nigeria, the titles he held as a chief, and even wilder, I'm now going to quote the actual president of Nigeria, who had the following to say about my grandpa after his passing. Let me find the quote from President Buhari so I do it justice. Okay, quote, The retired professor of geography lived an exemplary life, showing the world the reward of discipline, focus, and dedication, end quote. There was more to his press release about Grandpa, but I love that portion so much and feel as if it highlights some of his incredible qualities, not only as an academic, but in his personal life as well. And last but not least, I'll forever miss his voice. He had this just beautiful, deep, strong voice that you couldn't help but hang on to every word and just want him to keep talking. I've never met someone whose voice comes close to his, and even just thinking of it now transports me to earlier years and just being in awe of his presence. But Grandpa, rest in perfect peace. Thank you for everything. We'll try to continue making you proud and following in your footsteps. Yeah. The photo you are alluding to was taken in 1982 in Rome, Italy. My mom, your grandma, was unable to go on that trip with your grandpa, and I went instead of her. It was a great pleasure to be part of a Nigerian entourage to meet and have dinner with the now Saint John Paul II. Oh boy. Okay. Another episode that's starting this way. 
Let's use the solution we know worked last time, which was discussing another exhilarating topic. So for today, we're discussing gratitude. That's right, the overarching term for thank you, gracias, merci, grazie, and mom. Do you want to say thank you in Yoruba for our listeners? Sure, my daughter. Thank you in Yoruba is eshe or eshion. Listeners, maybe you can use it to surprise a friend or loved one. Said perfectly. Okay, mom, I know that thank you is such a surface level aspect. So from a psychological standpoint, what exactly does gratitude refer to? Wow, my daughter, it has relatively many definitions or conceptualizations. One group of researchers broadly define gratitude as a life orientation toward noticing and appreciating the positive in life. Other groups of researchers distinguish between gratitude as a personality disposition or trait that includes both cognitive and affective components and gratitude as a state or condition, the specific emotional experience of feeling grateful for something or someone. And a few researchers contend that gratitude is merely one facet of a larger construct known as appreciation or recognition and enjoyment of the good qualities of someone or something. There's agreement, however, among researchers that gratitude is distinct from other positive constructs such as happiness, well-being, optimism, vitality, and the big five personality traits, ocean, O-C-E-A-N. I love when the nautical-themed acronyms OCEAN and CANOE make an appearance. Too bad it's off-topic for today, though. It's interesting that there are those slight differences in the definitions of gratitude itself. I feel as if I've always viewed gratitude as just being grateful and appreciative, but haven't truly thought to assess whether it's more of a momentary feeling or a character trait. And regardless of which exact definition is applied, what is the actual importance of experiencing gratitude? That is an appropriate question. The broaden and build hypothesis of positive emotions proposed by Barbara Fredrickson suggests that positive emotions such as gratitude may influence well-being by broadening thought action repertoire or lists in the short term and building lasting personal resources such as social, personal, or psychological resources in the long term. In support of this hypothesis, studies have found that gratitude appears to play a role in improving well-being through fostering positive exchanges in relationships. There's also a negative relationship between gratitude and several psychological disorders. In particular, individuals higher in dispositional gratitude display significantly fewer depressive symptoms over time. And as dispositional gratitude increases, post-traumatic stress disorder decreases. I came across a did-you-know list on mindmovies.com, a website that I think summarizes the importance of gratitude 
succinctly. It goes like this. Did you know gratitude shields you from negativity, makes you at least 25% happier, rewires your brain, eliminates stress, heals, improves sleep, boosts self-esteem and performance, enhances the law of attraction, improves relationships. I agree with so many aspects of that list and have to say the impact on happiness, improvement of sleep quality, as well as the potential effect it can have on self-esteem and relationships are major aspects that make it well worth it to experience and absolutely express your feelings of gratitude. I know you have a lot of your own research that revolves around gratitude, so I'm really excited for you to share aspects of it with our listeners. To start, how do you and other researchers measure gratitude? There are several gratitude measures. One, the Gratitude Resentment and Appreciation Tests assesses gratitude as a trait and taps into four domains. A sense of abundance, simple appreciation, appreciation for others, and importance of gratitude expression. Two, the Appreciation Scale, which assesses eight dimensions of appreciation as a disposition. Three, the State Gratitude Scale, that has eight items. Four, the 16-item Transpersonal Gratitude Scale, which assesses the expression of gratitude, value of gratitude, transcendent gratitude, and spiritual connection. One popular measure that has been used by many researchers and I have used in my research lab to study the relationships between trait gratitude, subjective and psychological well-being, and depressive symptoms is the Gratitude Questionnaire 6, referred to as GQ6. The GQ6 is a six-item self-report measure developed by McCullough and colleagues to assess the frequency, intensity, width, and density of grateful, affective experiences. The items are scored on a seven-point Likert scale. One equals strongly disagree. Seven equals strongly agree. I'd like to share three of the six items. One, I have so much in life to be thankful for. Another item is, if I had to list everything that I felt grateful for, it will be a very long list. Another item is, I am grateful to a wide variety of people. I love those. And overall, it then provides you with a good understanding of how likely the person completing the questionnaire experiences gratitude in their day-to-day life, correct? In that the higher scores tend to be those who feel more appreciative and grateful in their daily life. Yes and yes to both of your questions. Total scores range from 6 to 42, but we report participants' averages of the six items on the 1 to 7 Likert scale. In one study of college students conducted in my research lab, the mean was 5.69. 
So those means approximate the characteristic of previous samples, for example, the mean of 5.92. And in those terms, those means suggest that those samples were relatively high on gratitude. Can we cultivate gratitude? And if possible, how can we go about doing so? Actually, researchers have developed several interventions to improve well-being and reduce depressive symptoms by increasing gratitude. Pioneers of these efforts are Emons and McCullough. These interventions usually involve a gratitude list or diary where an individual writes three to five things she or he is thankful for each day for 21 days. These interventions have shown preliminary effectiveness in reducing depressive symptoms, worry, and body dissatisfaction, as well as increasing well-being. Most research on gratitude interventions has tested them as standalone, self-directed interventions. However, as relatively short and simple interventions, we can use gratitude lists or diaries along with existing empirically supported treatments, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal therapy, psychodynamic therapy to increase gratitude. According to an article in Psychology Today, one can also cultivate gratitude by first noticing what's good in life. The author of this article argues that a culture that is materialistic and encourages constant acquisition of stuff as the source of happiness is not likely to facilitate gratitude and that envy Cynicism or suspicion or doubt and narcissism, self-love or self-absorption are not conducive to cultivating gratitude. Some tips proposed to foster gratitude in the article include keeping a journal of or note somehow big and little joys of daily life. Writing down three good things, identifying three things that have gone well for you and the reasons why. Writing thank you notes to others. Think about people who have inspired you and what about them was most significant. And finally, engaging in mental subtraction, in quotes. That is, imagining what your life would be like if some positive event had not occurred. I personally have had opportunities to use several of the above tips and strategies and others we have not mentioned so far. One strategy which I have not shared but that I use frequently when I go bike riding or walking in the park is selecting one object in nature and mentally dissecting it and coming up with its advantages or benefits. For example, I can pick a humongous tree and in my mind, savour its majesty. Think of how it creates a shade or resting place for human beings. 
how it provides an abode for birds to establish their nests and other animals to scramble through or enjoy, and so on. And I give thanks to the divine, the creator, for that particular tree or whatever object was my focus. I love those ideas so much. And listeners, wouldn't it be fascinating and amazing to see the log of what all my mom's thoughts are as she's on these bike rides? Can you imagine all of these inanimate, well, and I suppose some are animate objects that she's seeing and all of her thoughts? (laughs) I would love to see the record of those. I feel as if that'd be a great way to really just entertain myself for a few hours. But I really appreciate those suggestions. And even from that article you referenced, the mental subtraction is a concept I really like and find very powerful. In addition to the other techniques of actually taking the time to think through aspects of your life that are going well for you and reflecting on others that inspire you. But with mental subtraction, it initially feels as if you're doing the inverse and picturing your life without a certain person or certain people or without a particular event or a series of events. And it can be quite a strange feeling, but the more you do it, the more you can't help but experience what seems to be a more intensified appreciation for that event that's taken place or for those people. It's to the point where even if you've had a horrific day, or let's just say your 2020 overall has been rough, when you start subtracting some of the elements that existed, you start to feel far better than you did to start. And for those who haven't tried this before, I strongly recommend doing so. Even just a test run right now, well, maybe give it a few minutes to start doing after this episode ends. But seriously, give it a try and actively think through what your life would look like without X, Y, or Z. In addition, another format of documenting what you're appreciative of is something that seems to be frequently recommended at the start of every new year. It's the act of using a small note card and jotting down one thing or a few wins you had in your day or the people, places, or things you're grateful for and then start storing it in a jar, a box, or some other container. Then doing this throughout the year to review it at the end of the year and reminisce on all the positives that really have happened to you, since very often those can be overshadowed by the not-so-great experiences. And I've seen others embrace this concept in many creative ways, such as just using their phones to write down a quick blurb, or even recording recurrent audio clips of themselves talking through what they're grateful for. So if this is something you want to consider, feel free to get creative with it and experiment as to which approach is most convenient for you to increase the likelihood you'll continue doing so. And lastly, too, even with the thank you notes, I've actually had a few people say that they write thank you notes that they'd never plan on sending, as in they write thank you notes to those people who've really made a difference to their day, or they'll just say thank you for the politeness or the kindness or the graciousness that you showed me today. And they don't know who these people are in some cases, or in other cases, they know who they are, but just don't plan on sending the note. However, they store that as part of the log of their gratitude or appreciation tracker so that when they're doing their reflection, they're seeing all of these people who have really contributed to improving their day and improving their quality of life. And I think that's also a very beautiful approach to take. And even if all of this isn't done daily, having some sort of documentation of what you're grateful for can be a potent pick-me-up during the times in life where it feels as if you just can't catch a break. All right, mom, I think it's time to wrap it up for today and we're ready for your quote. Great. A brief wrap up before my quote. Gratitude 
gratefulness, appreciation, thankfulness, indebtedness are in the reach of all. Gratitude has so many positives, physiologically, physically, and psychologically. Gratitude can be cultivated, and there are so many ways to do so. As adults, it's best to model this virtue to young people. The earlier, the better. I am grateful today, as always, for our audience, and so is Iyabode. Okay, today's quote is by Tecumseh. When you rise in the morning, give thanks for the light, for your life, for your strength. Give thanks for your food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason to give thanks, the fault lies in yourself. Well, that is all for now. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, we want to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you heard today and suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes. You can email us at catchingcurveballs at gmail.com. That's catchingcurveballs at gmail.com, all one word. Or you can follow us on Instagram at catchingcurveballspodcast. That's catchingcurveballspodcast. We cannot wait to connect with you soon.